0: The time that you have given us today. Lord, I ask that you would be with us this afternoon as we look at marriage counseling and how to apply some of these things that we've learned even this morning into that model. And uh, we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, on page two, I have a chart. And for those of you that have been to the basic seminar for IBLP, it's going to, you may have some flashbacks here. But hopefully it'll be a good trip, and not a bad trip. Um, Somebody got that. Um, Developing a marriage counseling model. Um, When people come to me for marriage counseling um, and wanting help for their marriage, I'm really big on uh, husbands taking the lead to do that. I've had a lot of... uh, um, experience with wives calling and wanting help for their marriage. And uh, I used to just kind of go with that in our intake. Uh, But what ended up happening was I had a lot of wives that would drag their husbands to counseling. And uh, they would resent it. And so it was very hard for me to really begin to build trust and respect in that man's life, to try to speak into his life, and try to help him with his many blind spots. And... uh, and, uh, and so, again, this is a little bit different, maybe, than some of the other counseling you may have been exposed to. But when people are interested in finding marriage counseling, um, I put the burden of responsibility on a husband to make the call and to schedule the appointment. Um, even if I have a situation where the wife uh, may even need personal counseling... Um, I can tell you a a short testimony here of, of how God really worked through this philosophy. Uh, there was a lady that called me, uh, from out of state who wanted to come in for counseling. She was born and raised in another country, but she came from a very physically abusive home and, uh, was really struggling with functioning and, and a lot of emotional problems in particular anger. And, uh, she wanted, she'd found out about our counseling center and wanted to come for counseling. So she called and set up an appointment to come in for counseling for herself. And so I talked to her on the phone and, and, uh, I felt that she was a pretty good candidate, but I said that, but I also want your husband to call and talk to me. In fact, I really would like for him to come with you. And, uh, I could tell that she was a little put off by all that. Um, one that somehow I had to get the husband involved with me. Uh, almost to get permission from him is really what I was looking for to first of all counsel his wife and then second of all I wanted him to be a part of the counseling process so she said you know okay so he ended up calling um, and scheduling an, an appointment uh, to talk to me and uh, and so uh, I asked him if uh, what you know what his position was and the problems with his wife how he felt about it would he be willing to come? And he, you know, said, Oh, yeah, I'd be more than glad to come. And, uh, so I'd asked him if it was okay, you know, that his wife would come and all that. He says, Oh, yeah, I'd like to come with her. And so we went ahead and scheduled the appointment. And I could tell on the phone that both of them were kind of a little, uh, put off by, by my standard or what, a, you know, kind of what I was wanting, my policy there. But he, uh, it's kind of interesting, he, he went ahead and came with her, and uh, God had already been working in their life quite a bit prior to the counseling. But um, when, when they came, they were both extremely receptive to getting help. In fact, the husband was very uh, receptive. And uh, in fact, it was very important uh, for her to find uh, help that he would be wanting to get help for himself. and I'm not going to go into all the details, but but basically it was really important that he was there uh, because there was a lot of wounds from early in their marriage and so forth that needed to be worked out. And so what was supposed to be individual for counseling for her and battling with her struggles really turned into marriage counseling. And then after about the third day of meeting with them, the husband uh, began to share with me about how important it was for him to be included in the counseling. And how grateful he was, you know, that I challenged him to come and, and be there and be a part of that process. And then the wife, she says, yeah, she says, I really thought that, you know, you were a little over the line there by, you know. But she goes, my husband really liked the fact that she wanted to talk to him, though. <laughs> and uh, and he acknowledged to me, he says, you know, because you did that, I came with a far better attitude um, when it came to counseling and receiving from you. And uh, and I I've seen that many times. Uh, in fact, there was one particular situation where the wife was really struggling with some emotional issues, and uh, she wanted to get in for counseling. And I had about a two week waiting list just to get a phone call, scheduled phone call with me. And uh, but the husband called back and said, you know, you really need, you know, talked to my secretary and says, you know, my wife's going to kill herself. You know, <laughs> I need to talk to Jeff McCom now. And so she's like, well, I'm sorry, you know, maybe he can call you back, you know, in a couple of days, but you know, he's really got a busy schedule and it's really hard unless you schedule a call and that's not going to be, no, I need to talk to him now. I really need help from my wife. <laughs> and so my secretary comes back and, uh, and I was actually right in the middle of the council center. She says, you know, such and such is calling. It's the husband of that one lady that you we went ahead and scheduled for a phone appointment like in three weeks and, and, uh. He, she's suicidal. He wants to talk to you, and uh, and he wants to talk to you as soon as possible. I says, "Well, tell him I'll call him back." as I'm done at this point. And so I said, since he's being so persistent, I will. <laughs> and so I called him back, and uh, uh, he was just took the lead in his in that situation uh, with his wife getting help, and that made such a big impact on me. And then, then I asked him, you know, are you willing to be a part of the process? Counseling. And he said, Oh, yeah, no question. Um, I'll be there. And I just wanted to find my wife some help. And sure enough, he was a part of that process um, and came to the counseling sessions. And she'd been abused and was DID. And um, and then just a few weeks ago, they shared their testimony about how God has brought healing in their life and marriage. But he just took that initiative, you know. And that's so, that's one of the things that we really. Uh, when it comes to finding marriage counseling, I found it very helpful because um, it's really, most of the calls that you get for marriage counseling tend to come from women. But if but I'm trying to empower the male to be the leader uh, by having them take that initiative uh, to schedule the intake calls. And, and what I have found when I do that and then men follow through with that, most of them really respect that. Um, and they tend to open up and trust me a lot sooner um, that if i didn't do that uh, and so pretty much i've stopped doing marriage counseling unless i the husband's taking the initiative so just to kind of let you know it's one of the things that i have found to be very very important um, i spent a lot of a lot of time earlier in my counseling ministry just kind of going with the wife's lead um, and very little really very little happening uh, because the men would already come in on the defensive because they were being dragged in there. Um, and men struggle with counseling anyway, you know. Uh, wives will, uh, it's very easy, it's very natural for them to want to get counsel, you know. Um, and so they tend to want to look to somebody to lead them. And so, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, they may call their, you know, their, uh, you know, some lady in the church and talk to them about all their problems or whatever, you know. But, but for men, it's just far more difficult. Um, and men, women will, you know, they'll see the cracks in the ceiling and say, you know, we really need to fix these. Um, and the husband will tend to want to wait till the roof falls in on his head and kind of say, well, we need to get this fixed, you know. Um, and so if I can get the wife to point out the cracks and then have the husband, encourage the husband to call me so that we can look at the cracks together, maybe we can save the roof from falling in on her head. Um, so when people are calling me uh, for counseling, marriage counseling, the typical thing, this is what I hear on the phone. I hear, you know, we have a hard time understanding one another, uh, Our number one problem is communication. Um, You know, he doesn't really love me. I don't feel respected. She won't submit to me. Um, Those are the typical things that I hear just about every time. Um, And uh, there's very little romance in the relationship. Um, They're not withholding themselves from one another because of prayer and fasting. Um, there's little or no desire in enjoying being with one another. There's usually a lot of financial problems. And so these, I would call these yes. surface problems. These are the things that most people, when they're struggling with their marriage, this is really what they're, this is what they're, uh, they're shining their light of attention on those issues. Okay. And some Christians, you know, they can look at God's Word and they can, uh, you know, take the Scripture and they can somewhat begin to apply that to their lives and that can help their marriage. Uh, unfortunately, that's going to help some couples but not the majority of couples. Um, And what happens is the surface cause, how I see the surface cause behind those marital problems, surface problems, is that there's a reaction to unmet needs. Um, And then that person begins to feel rejection because those needs aren't met. God has created us as husbands as men and women, as husbands and wives, that when we get married, or even engaged, actually, is when really a lot of this begins to kick in, that there are certain responsibilities that I have as a husband that are needs for my wife, and vice versa. There are certain biblical responsibilities that my wife has before the Lord that are really needs for me as a husband. And I call it, there's like this divine tension there. Um, you know, in Scripture, we're familiar. In Ephesians... Uh, where it talks about husbands and wives, Ephesians what, chapter six, there, five, I mean, spiritual <laughs> verse, parents, but uh, chapter five, there at the end, where it talks about, you know, husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, wives are to submit to their husbands, and I purposely said that backwards uh, because I see it's a dual submission, um, so uh, you know it, it works both ways. And there's a divine tension that comes into a marriage when they're not walking in the oneness that God created. There's going to be a contention. There's going to be a problem there. Um, because the thread that really runs through a man's needs is he has a great need to be affirmed. Um, affirmation is a huge need for a man. And then for a wife, she needs to feel loved and and really the security is the thread that really kind of runs through her needs. And there's different books, self-help books that are written. I think the latest one that I think is uh, one of the better ones is uh, Love and Respect by Emerson Egerish. Um, But there's other types of books and materials that are out there that talk about these needs. Um, Dr. Harley has a book, His Needs and Her Needs. Um, But basically what's happening here is the surface causes, they're... there's a reaction when that person's needs aren't met, they begin to feel rejection. Well, uh, that kind of brings us down to the root problems, which I kind of classify as strongholds, blind spots, and generational tendencies. And we'll get into some of this more specifically here in a minute. But basically, these root problems is what hinders me from meeting these needs. Okay. Now we're getting down to What are the issues that are are there that keep that person from really meeting those needs and then uh, responding um, the way that God would want us to? And then the root cause is walking in the flesh. The flesh is selfish to the core and always manifests itself in sinful behavior and is incapable of giving genuine love. And so when you're talking about bottom line, what causes marital problems is the flesh. Um, Now, Satan sure has come to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy marriages. But he's going to do that more through the root problems that are unresolved in the marriage. I don't see that as the root cause. Uh, Marriage, like no other relationship, will require me to to deny myself and die to my flesh daily. Okay, on page 3 there. So, tracing present problems to root issues. Most people know very little how, first of all, to resolve their marital problems. Again, people tend to not see the cause and effect relationship. Many people bring unresolved problems into their marriage and then more problems develop over the years within the marriage. These problems can exist for many years with little or no resolution. Lack of spiritual, emotional, and physical intimacy as well as friendship will be an indicator of deeper, unresolved issues. Many majority of people they go to good churches, receive Christian counseling, or have a list of biblical responsibilities. So those are the needs there for a husband and wife. However, these people are incapable of living in the freedom that Christ provided and that will, that will allow them to walk in the Spirit and empower them to fulfill these responsibilities to their mate. So to help a couple receive counseling that will truly help them, you must look past the present problems, and it's necessary to identify and resolve those root issues within each individual. These issues must be resolved as God is working in a person's heart by the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. In this process, we will find genuine repentance, humility, truth, wisdom, grace, and healing. Whereas, I believe, Satan, he wants us to look outside of our marriage. Okay, um, He doesn't want us to look to God. He wants us to look to other people to meet those needs. Okay, Most people go into uh, and have uh, uh, adulterous affairs, typically not because of the physical <coughs> relationship is what drives them there. It could be, but it's very rare. Um, but majority of the time, it's it's these other needs, like a man's need for affirmation, a woman's need for security and love. It, that is usually the driving force behind adulterous affairs. Okay. And, uh, and so I think Satan wants... uh, That's really where the open door can come in. And then both clients must be willing to follow the Lord's direction. Um, Let's look at Psalms 81. Psalms 81 and verse 10. Well, it's just beautiful out there. Isn't it? Especially when you're from cold and rainy Indianapolis on the isn't it? It's like spring again. Verse ten I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I mean anyone. Yeah, 81. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people would not heed my voice, and Israel would not have none of me. So I gave them over to their own stubborn heart to walk in their own counsels. Oh, what a dreadful thing. That's leaning on your own understanding. God will let you do that. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies, soon subdue their enemies, and turn my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord would pretend submission to him. That's kind of what God hates, actually, <laughs> and this is the very thing I think that Satan. This is like the great deception. I call it pretend submission to God. Uh, I'm going to fake it till I make it, <laughs> um, but ultimately we know that uh, you know, that is not going to work. Um, but their fate wouldn't. En- but their fate would endure forever. So would have. Fed them also with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock, I would have satisfied you. So they missed out on the blessing of God. Um, and so we have to look at the Lord's direction and what He's wanting to do versus leaning upon our own understanding. And, uh, and that's really what I'm looking for again in the counseling is a husband and a wife that, that really want to bring up, have reconciliation in the relationship. Um, and you know what? That's the one thing about when I'm not using PowerPoint is I can jump around anytime I like. That's really easy. Um, turn with me to page ten, and we'll come back to that. Page ten is a passage in scripture there regarding reconciliation and relationships, and uh, this is. Uh, really a foundational aspect to doing marriage counseling, is how do we bring about reconciliation. First uh, Peter three eight, verses uh, 9, 10, 11, 12, somewhere in there, in there, says, finally, all of you should be of one mind, having compassion one, of another, one for another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, and be courteous. There's five things there in bringing reconciliation. And then it says, um, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. And that's usually what happens when there's marital problems. But on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life, and most people that are struggling with their marriage are not loving life very much, are they? And if you want to see good days, I want to have more, a lot more good days than bad days. I don't know about you. But if you want to have good days and you want to love life, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now this is a conditional blessing. No question about it, in my mind. Um, in fact, to have any type of recon- to to have any type of healing in a marriage, you have to stop that evil for evil cycle. Because as long as you stay in that evil for evil cycle, it says here that God. Uh, It says here the face of the Lord will be against those who do evil. But if you do if you overcome that evil by doing good, it says the Lord are open to your prayers. Or hear your prayers. So we want to understand just how important this whole thing is. And uh, see what brings people together, faces that light up, say, I'm glad to be with you. You know, just think about what brought this couple together. This is what brought them together. Encouraging words. Many smiles, a warm tone of voice, enjoying times together, feeling safe, uh, loving touches, surprises that bring joy, spiritual, emotional, intimacy-building experiences, times in which you are generally glad to be together on an everyday basis. Uh, You do those things enough with somebody of the opposite sex and you'll end up getting married. what happens. And then walls begin to build around our hearts, those uh, unresolved hurts that bring rejection. And uh, the worst part about it is the lack of emotional understanding and heart forgiveness. See, that's the worst part about it. See, it's one thing to be hurt by somebody. It's another thing to be hurt by somebody that loves you and they don't care. That's really hurtful. Those are some pretty thick bricks that you're going to build in your wall around your heart, okay. and uh, and so unfortunately, that's a big part of what's going on. Most people do not know, unfortunately, how to resolve ruptures in relationships so they both feel better. Um, most uh, people, um, when they're trying to bring about reconciliation, it's usually about one person feeling better, as opposed to both. And. Uh, it's, um, it's something you have to learn. I know I did. Um, you know, it's like I can remember when my wife and I uh, would first first got married. Um, it was kind of interesting because I grew up in a non-Christian home, but we never went to bed angry. Um, we always made things right before we went to bed, and we actually applied. Ephesians 4, 26 to 27, be angry and sin not. Don't let the son go down and find your refuge. Right. a place to do that one. We actually... Practice that in my home growing up. My wife grew up in a Christian home. You know, my wife was in church, you know, nine months before she was born. And, uh, they never once practiced that. You know, they always went to bed with it, with it not fixed. In fact, they would just pretend like it didn't happen. Okay. So it was really interesting when my wife and I got married and we began to have conflict. See? Okay? Because I was around, we gotta fix this, we gotta fix this. And she's like, fix what? You know, or well, I don't know how to fix it. So what would happen is there would be a conflict and she would go off and isolate herself because she didn't know what to do. And I'd be pounding on the door saying, Let me in, we've got to work this out, you know. And uh, so it's quite a quite a quite a contrast there. Now, um, you know we ended up doing it my way when it came to resolving conflict and my wife has learned very well uh, over these years now to do that. And to take responsibility and to communicate feelings so that we could both feel better. See? Uh, Her way was that nobody felt better. That's how she grew up. No one ever felt better. Um, And if if anybody felt better, it was definitely the parents. Um, And in my family, it was we couldn't feel good about going to bed until we both felt better. Okay, so I did have some skills. I learned some skills on how to do that. Um, And that's to take into account, um, praise God for my mother, Uh, To take into account this is where men learn this. um, To take into account not only how I feel and express it, but also how she feels and let her express it. Okay. And so I learned that skill, and so I was I could never go to sleep. In fact, I've in what sixteen years of marriage now, um, I've never been able to go to sleep and go to bed until we both felt better. And uh, so it's a very difficult skill um, unless you learn it young in life, really, which I fortunately did because I had a mother that was raised by a mother who was a Christian. And, and so that was one of the blessings that was passed down. So I'm trying to help people to learn how to do that. Um, and a lot of it is taking into account uh, both sides. And you'll see that here uh, in Scripture. And then in verse 3, each, like I said, each herd becomes a brick in the wall they build around their hearts. So, how do we respond to others to bring reconciliation? Well, first of all, you have to be of one mind, scripture says. You have to have the same mindset toward the need to love each other. Okay? And there's an empathy of sorts here, um, where you are not necessarily understanding here, but you're beginning to understand here the need to have reconciliation. And the biggest lie that uh, I think couples believe in a marriage counseling situation is that their spouse is the enemy. And that's who they're wrestling and dealing with. Now, there could be problems there, definitely. But ultimately, that's not your enemy. And if you, But if you view them as the enemy, then that's going to be your focus. Um, and you're going to really miss out on what God wants to do in that relationship. So the first thing here is to be all of one mind. To have the same attitude towards the need to love each other. Um, and that's really what I what try to establish early on in the counseling is the same mindset. Um, what are we wanting to do here? What do, what do we want the relationship to look like? Um, what is our goal here? And I try to help them very early on to have a spiritual warfare worldview when it comes to who their enemy really is. And then secondly, having compassion one of another. Now in the King James, there's five words, English words for one Greek word. And that word is the verb form, uh, Of, of I'm, I'm sorry, the verb form of sympathio, which is Sympathias. Uh, so it's a verb, so it's a putting into action of sympathy. And it literally means to feel together with. To feel together with, to have sympathy for one another. And so this, this is really important. Because you're not only concerned about sharing how you feel about the situation, what you're feeling together with. And so you're also interested in caring about how that other person feels. So now you're taking into account two people. Okay. And that's very important. See, I believe that if we're living out of the heart that Jesus gave us, we have the capacity to feel the same way he does if we allow ourselves. But usually it's going to be pretty painful to do it. But I, what I have found is for me to love deeply, I've got to feel pain deeply. If I don't allow myself to feel at a heart level, I'm going to have a very difficult time loving from the heart. And, uh, and so what, I, what ends up happening with this, I think when we're really demonstrating the compassion that Christ wants us to, is we're going to begin to feel how he does about some of these things. Um, and really, we we're talking about, you know, bitterness and rejection and so forth. This is where you learn to trust somebody. Is when you begin to, un- when they begin to understand that the pain that they have caused. Um, then you can begin to trust somebody when you know that they have that type of understanding. So when they're actually practicing that. Now, men probably struggle more with this. Typically typically men struggle with this more than women do because this is where men typically learn how to feel about relational stuff and like that from their mother. And typically the way they learn it is when their mother allows them to express how they feel about things. So if you get a man that grows up in a home where the mother does not allow their son to express how they feel about things, typically you're gonna have a man that's not gonna know how he feels or how other people feel about things. So that's how you typically don't learn that from your father. <laughs> Alright? You learn that typically. Now you can learn that from your father. You can. Um, I learned it from my mother. You know? Uh, because my mother would give me that opportunity to share how I felt about things. wasn't always right, <laughs> you know. Especially when she found a, a bag of marijuana in my drawer, <laughs> you know, uh, and how I felt about that. It wasn't the right thing for me to do, but she let me share about why I wanted to use drugs. Didn't make a lick of sense, really, you know. But she let she at least let me get it out, you know, uh, or how I felt about my sister when I was a ten year old. Boy, and she was 16, and she used to throw me around the house when I wouldn't obey her, you know. and she'd be babysitting me or something, you know. It's like my feelings would matter. You know, that's what sisters do. Yeah. And then I punched her and she stopped. <laughs> but, um, I'm not bragging. I'm sure listening, yeah. But, uh, but this whole concept, uh, is is important. Then we're told to love his brethren. Love is fellow countrymen. It's a phileo-type love. It's a family-type love. And then actually this next point is really the desire to act out of a compassionate heart. That's again number four. Be pitiful, which means to demonstrate compassion, and it's a desire to act. It's not something that is just going to have an understanding here, which is empathy, have an understanding here, which is sympathy, but there's going to be an action behind that that's a compassion. That's what really that means, to be pitiful. And that's kind of, you know, I'll never forget watching the news and the floods there in New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina and just seeing all those people stranded on that overpass and day after day and all these people on their roofs. And my wife's like, you know, we need to go down there and we need to bring them some water or, you know, or do something. You know, she's ready to drive on down to New Orleans, do anything we could to help those people. Okay, that's being pitiful. That's being compassionate. You want to act, you want to do something about it. And that is very important in reconciliation, too. Is that you're going to take some action to do something with what you're feeling. Um, And then to be courteous means to demonstrate humility. There has to be humility there. Um, A lot of times, uh, it's hard for us to deal with shame when we've hurt somebody. um, Especially if we love them. Um, There could be more shame when We hurt somebody that we love, and then all of a sudden we're faced with having to deal with the pain that we've caused somebody that we've loved. Um, We begin to feel shame, and we don't like to feel shame. And one of the things that people will do with their shame is they'll get angry, okay, or they'll hide. They don't want to talk about it, see. And uh, and so many times that can really be a, a destructive thing. And so we have to have humility in our our attitude um, and not allow that shame uh, to get the best of us. Um, So that's just some things there that are important uh, to resolving uh, that rejection. Um, And that's really uh, how we can begin to uh, work on Uh, dealing with some marital problems. And I'll go into a little bit more of that as we go on in in detail and help answer some questions for that. Um, Back to page three. Understanding Satan's desire to destroy spiritual, emotional, and physical oneness. (coughs) Criteria for successful marriage is maintaining oneness. Um, Unfortunately, Uh, what ends up happening is uh, you have, when when a couple is not walking in the oneness that God designed, it's kind of like you have the husband over here, the wife over here, and the children get in the middle. Okay? And life kind of revolves around the kids. That's not how God designed marriage. God designed marriage for the husband and the wife to be together in one, and the children are out here. Eventually, those children are going to go out they're going to start their own come one flush with somebody else you never one flush with your children um and so the criteria for successful marriage is maintaining that oneness and i would also add the criteria for successful family is that as well because once those children get in the middle of mom and dad um they've lost their security and their safety net really um And then both the husband and the wife, to have that oneness, they need to leave mom and dad physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, financially. That's that one flesh principle. They need to bond together in such a way as they become one. They need to have no unresolved issues between themselves and God, so that intimacy and transparency are the norm for their relationship. Their conscience. Bonding takes place between a man and a woman when there is a total commitment of themselves, which is what God has asked us to do, body, soul, and spirit to each other without reservation. Many people bond out of fear of rejection, unfortunately. That's the fear-bonding dynamic. And then they develop intimacy by tearing down the walls around their hearts. Okay? Now, husbands and wives react out of these unmet needs. Um, the wife, she needs uh, uh, security. Okay? Um, spiritual, emotional, physical intimacy is essential for couples to experience the oneness that God has designed. Uh, this intimacy in relationships or a lack of is passed on to the children. There's an inability to give and receive love. This intimacy is only as possible if an individual's heart is engaged in a love relationship with the Lord and the people around him or her Um if a person is emotionally locked, they will continue to struggle with uh, allowing God's love to flow through their lives. Wife needs security. And her big question is, am I safe enough? Not only does, is she safe enough, she wants everyone safe. Okay, And as you look at these needs, this is the thread that really runs through that. A wife who feels insecure will be greatly influenced by fear. And will begin to try to control her husband and family to help her meet her needs for security. Her controlling will never bring about what she needs, and, this, and she will become very frustrated and begin to react in anger. This will only make matters worse and undermines the very thing she needs, which is the security. As her husband reacts to her controlling behavior, okay, and this is part of that evil for evil cycle from a woman's perspective. A woman has a great need to feel secure, and if she grows up in a home where She has a father wound and she's never really felt that love and acceptance and and cherished from her father. Um, you know, she's going to look to her husband in a great way. And she should. She's going to look to her husband anyway. Okay? But what happens is if, you know, he goes on and gets his job and and, uh, starts off on his career and he begins to, he's coming home and he's not quite taking joy in her existence the way he used to, then she's going to feel that rejection pain. So he's not loving his wife as he should. She begins to feel rejection. That rejection turns into hurt. That hurt turns into bitterness, and then she begins to nag her husband for attention. Okay, and he reacts in pride. What do you mean attention? You know, I'm home every night. What, do you, what more do you want? You know, I'm paying the bills. You know, and then uh, and so he kind of reacts in pride, and then she doesn't feel understood. So then she gets bitter. And then she begins to withhold herself physically from him, or is th- or just not in the mood. And then he begins to struggle with having his you know his wife being sexually fulfilling, and then, then he begins to turn to pornography. See? So this is that evil for evil cycle, going back and forth. Um, and that's unfortunately uh, one of the patterns. There's other patterns out there, too, and I'll talk about the husband here. Because fear is a very powerful emotion, Satan will use fear in a woman's emotions to deceive her. She must learn that not everything she feels is true. Very, very important for women to learn that. And in men too. Um, But that not everything she feels is true is necessarily true. You can have false assumptions. Even in what you feel. And fear, unhealthy fear, is the antithesis of faith. It's just the opposite. Um, this is probably the greatest blind spot that a woman has, in my opinion, is she because her needs for security are so great. Um, and if you look at those needs there, back on that chart, um, and we'll cover them here in a minute. But you know, she needs to feel loved and cherished. She needs to not uh, feel like a woman. She needs to be the woman. See, there's a difference. Uh, and being the woman helps bring her security and she when she feels that most important person in his life, then she feels that way can't be mom, you know can't be the children, can't be the job you know in Indianapolis it can't be the colts I guess in Texas it can't be the cowboys you know you know what NFL stands for right? No family life no just kidding. <laughs> Um, Ultimately, the wife must find her needs for security by trusting in God with her fears and concerns. See, a husband cannot meet every need his wife has for security. Can't do it. He has a responsibility, biblically, to love her, though, as Christ loved the church. That's going to solve a lot of problems. That's going to solve a lot of problems, but even a husband that loves his wife as Christ loves the church, even in that, it's not going to meet all our needs for security, because he is not God, and he's not perfect. And so, it's very important for wives that's this identity in Christ issue and how it impacts her and her marriage. It's also imperative that the husband understands his wife's needs and do this, do his best to meet them as God intends. Okay. A husband needs affirmation. The question he's looking for is, am I good enough? Am I good enough? Affirmation. If you look through the needs here, we'll look at those. The thread that runs through them is affirmation. A husband who does not feel affirmation will look to success, work, money, and approval from other women to find it. That's the lure of a lot of the sinful things that men want to be a part of. Satan will use a man's pride. He believes the lie that it's all up to me. This lie, uh, many times, comes from their childhood, actually, when they have an absent father. Um, this lie, when acted upon, causes a man to live life totally dependent on his own resources instead of God. When men live out of their prideful, sinful flesh, men become deceived, and they lean on their own understanding and wisdom. And that's probably the number one blind spot for men. Is they, Because of their need for affirmation, they, they become very self-sufficient, you know, that's why they don't like to ask for directions. See, and, uh, and they want to lean on their own understanding and wisdom. And that's a pride issue. And that's very much the uh, struggle that men have uh, in a blind spot. They tend to not see how they're doing that. I know I did not um, And then a husband ultimately must find his need for affirmation in his identity in Christ and not by a performance-based acceptance, which is usually a big stronghold there. Let's talk a little bit about these needs that a husband and wife are reacting out of. Uh, For instance, the needs of a wife. She needs to feel loved and cherished. Um, Needs to be understood at an emotional level. That's very difficult sometimes for men to do, too. Um, I talk about uh, I've learned, uh, I call it solving the emotional story problem. And uh, uh, that's one of the things that has been helpful to me. It's kind of what the Lord gave me. There's uh, a word picture kind of how that works. Um, you know, uh, men tend to look at problems 2 plus 2 equals 4. You know, 4 plus 4 equals 8. Um, but women um, are a little bit different, a little more complex than that typically when it comes to solving problems. Um, and they kind of see life as like story problems instead. And so it's kind of like this. Uh, Bobby had a dollar. And he had ten friends. And he went to the store and bought apples. And they were ten cents a piece, And he bought each friend an apple. How much money did he have left? Okay. Does anybody know the answer? None. Okay. Now, that's the logical summation of the problem. The problem, right? Um... But I used to try to treat my wife like that. I used to say, you know, she, let's say she went to the doctor, okay? And uh, I'd uh, call her up to find out how the doctor's office visit went. And so she'd begin to tell me the story, okay? Wah, 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 okay? And so I'm listening to the story of the going to the doctor. and uh, And I would say, well, did you say this? Did you do this? She should have done that. Did you do this? And get really quiet on the phone. I'd say, what's wrong? Nothing. Oh, yes. No, no. You just, you know, eventually you don't understand. I'll see you later. Bye. No. (coughs) Well, what I realized, it wasn't so much, you know, that she needed an answer. She wanted me to understand how she felt about the doctor's office visit. Okay, so it's how did Bobby feel about buying those ten apples for all his friends? How did Bobby feel about not having any money left over at the end? See? That's how a woman looks at things. Okay? Does that make sense to you. And the women say, yeah. See, that's how it works. So that's why other women will call other women when they need to be understood. See? Because they'll say, oh, I know exactly how you feel. You know, And they'll tell them some story... It will exactly relay to what they are just experiencing now, see. And uh, so I try to teach men to solve the emotional story problem, see. So then you begin to ask them questions, you know. Um, if you anticipate, you can get really good. And I get a lot of practice because I'm a counselor, too. So. so I'm in tune with how people are feeling every day, all day. So my wife's got it, you know, she's got it made because she can begin to tell me a problem. And I'm thinking, okay, she's feeling discouraged, she's feeling sad, you know. So I said, You're feeling sad, aren't you? And she's like, Oh, yes, and we're the problem, you know. You're feeling discouraged, oh, yeah. Now. So, you know, now when she calls, and I went to the doctor and I said, Oh, boy, like, you must really be discouraged. Oh, I'm so discouraged. We're the problem. Now. So, <laughs> you get it? Okay? And so this is a huge, men typically are not wired to function like that. Now, some are, okay? But usually those men that are, typically had mothers that did that to them. Okay? And that's usually where you learn that softer side. A man learns the softer emotional side more from the mother. Um, So you got that? Solving an emotional story problem. That's the word picture God gave me to help me. (laughs) Well, actually, I got a list of emotions. See? You can have the list in front of you. Yeah, and, you know, they speak in Greek, too. You know, it's like, uh, you know, for several years there, we'd be driving down the street, and there'd be a mall that we'd be driving by, and, and I'd say, honey, do you want to stop at the mall? If you want to. I didn't want to. We kept driving. And then and then next thing you know, she'd have this, she'd be a little disappointed. I'd be like, what's wrong? I wanted to go to the mall. I said, well, why didn't you say so? <laughs> So finally, I figured out after about two or three years that when she said, "If you want to," that means yes. <laughs> that means yes. Okay. <laughs> but probably not always. Right? Well, for my for my wife's language is good. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, true. I got you. I got you. So, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, so, uh, well, it's kind of like this, too. Um, shopping is another kind of interesting thing. Uh, <laughs> and so, if um, this is just, a, I'm, I know I'm beating beating it harder, but as far as um, you know, women process things differently. See, so it's like if we go shopping for a couch, let's say we need to buy a, uh, we're redecorating our family room, we need to buy a, a new couch, and uh, you know we're looking for a special couch, and it has to have this special green in it. And everyone knows greens are hard to match, right? and especially contrasting greens, They don't go very well. And so um, so we go to Kittles. It's a furniture yeah. store in Indianapolis, and we're looking for a new couch. So we walk in the showroom and see all these couches, and my wife sees this beautiful green couch. And she's just so excited about this couch, and she runs over to it and says, Jeff, isn't it just a beautiful couch? This will work perfect. I feel so good about this couch. Well, I don't know how I feel about that couch until I see the price tag. See? All right? So she feels so good about this couch. All right? Then she begins to think about that couch. All right? Now, logic, her left hemisphere is kicking in now. So she's thinking about that couch. She's looking at that couch. It's a lot bigger than the one we had before. Okay? Is that couch really going to fit? So she begins to think about that couch. And she says, can we measure it? Okay? So sometimes salespeople have a little tape measure. She says, no, I'll tell it'll, it'll work. Believe me, it'll it'll still work. No, i gotta it's, i got to. Are you sure? All right, I'll go measure it. So I get the tape measure. I measure, honey, it's only six inches, a little longer than our last one. It's bigger, but it's still going to work. Are you sure? Yeah, it'll work. Okay. And then she's feeling good about the couch again. So she went from emotional to logical. And then she says, uh, so I'm, and I I'd already checked out the price tag a long time ago, but, but uh, she says, well, what do you want to do? You know? And I'm thinking, she's really excited about this couch. So, I mean, i got to screw on the spot here. And so, now she, when she says that, basically, she wants, she's submitting her will to me, basically. And she's wanting me to do the same thing she does. Okay? <laughs> Which she wants to do this couch. All right? So, that's the will kicking I'll say, well, what do you want to do? And she'll say, no, what do you want to do? You know, and that's a clear indicator that she wants you to do what she wants you to do. <laughs> All right. So then we're going to go pay for the couch, okay? And she's okay. She's going back and forth, and then she says, well, I'm going to I'll say, let's get the couch. I'm let's buy it. All right. So, um, so then she begins to. I go pay for the couch, and she sees me. Instead of pulling out cash or our debit card, she sees me pull out my Visa or my MasterCard. And she gets this real sinking feeling in her stomach, and she says, I thought we were going to be able to pay cash. I said, no, we're going to put it on our credit card. Oh. You know. So now her conscience is kicking in, because now she's starting to feel guilty for putting it on the credit card. And uh, now she doesn't even want couch. Okay. Um, but then I say, you know what, honey? It's okay. We can get it paid off. You know, we want to pay interest on it. We'll just, we'll get our income tax check here in a couple weeks. We can just pay it all off. Unless she's back feeling good again about buying a couch. You see, a woman will process through things differently. She'll process things through her emotions, through her logic, through her will, through her spirit, her conscience, and she'll bounce around. And most men, just they, those kind of, especially when it comes to shopping, they'll zero it all in right away. I mean, I knew within five minutes if I wanted that couch. I knew exactly everything. So she had to kind of process through that, logically, emotionally, how we're going to pay for it, what you want to do, all these different things. And so it's very important. And and all these things that are really important to a woman helps build security. So. Um, and if. And you have to understand when you're counseling marriage counseling with people is a lot of the women that you're going to counsel in marriage situations those are the things those things there are just in part of who they are and they've never even had that type of relationship with a man. okay so think about that. So typically they've never been able to trust a man emotionally and the man that they married they trusted they got some of it. Because when I ask wives, you know, did you was your husband safe when you got married, when you met each other, and you got engaged? Every one of them will say yes. You know? um, but a lot of them have never really understood the depth and the level of long term relational emotional relationship, and so then a lot of women get hurt. They don't feel safe anymore. Um, a husband, a wife also needs her husband to be open and honest. Um, that's a, that's a real big important thing. Um, she needs to feel security. We're not talking about you know Swiss bank accounts here or anything, um, but there is a conflict in Scripture when we're talking about you know marriage. The unmarried cares for the things of the Lord and how he may please the Lord, but he who is married cares for the things of the world and how he may please his wife. Um, I learned that ministry, you know, uh, the demands. Helping people, people wanting me to help them, serve them. very strong. You know, for what my wife's needs, she's got needs too. And you uh, got to take care of things at home and be secure there before you can never be. Uh, good at ministry. That's the same thing with all of us. Um, and the needs for a husband to be the leader of the family. She really needs that. That helps build security. Husband, he doesn't become the head. Okay, he is the head. Um And so he needs to take that initiative and do that. So those things help bring that sense of security uh, to a woman. And then the needs for a husband regarding affirmation: uh, she needs, he needs to be respected as the leader. Okay. Um, Now this doesn't mean that she doesn't have an opinion. Uh, This doesn't mean that, uh, uh, but he just needs that to be respected. You are the head. You are the leader. I want you to be the leader. And that's what our husband needs. See, he needs uh, uh, affirmation. That's number four. Um, So he needs a cheerleader. I never saw a little boy grow up and say, I want to be the back quarterback. Never saw it happen. Um, Little boys, when they're playing football in Indianapolis, they have number 18 on their backs. I want to be Peyton Manning. I want to be back a quarterback. Men have that inherent need to be and have affirmation in their life, and so they need to be respected as a man. If a man doesn't feel respected, then he'll get hurt. He eventually, when he's young, he'll be angry. <laughs> but really, behind that anger is hurt, and that's something that a lot of women have a blind spot with when it comes to understanding a man emotionally. as a woman will just peg everything that a man feels as anger. And she won't see that he gets hurt. That anger is just a representation of pain he doesn't want to allow himself to feel. Okay? And so when I was in my twenties and early thirties, it was anger. And then I began to realize I gotta change this. <laughs> because really I'm being hurt. And uh, so then what happens in the late thirties and forties and fifties, men you're allowed to be hurt. <laughs> okay, instead of anger. Um, and then uh, another need is a husband needs his wife to enjoy their physical relationship. Uh, that's, that's another huge affirmation issue for a, a husband. Um, she ne- he needs his wife, uh, and again, this abstinence thing. Um, a lot of couples struggle with uh, physical intimacy. Um, it becomes a just another outward symptom of their lack of emotional oneness and spiritual oneness um, and I one of the elders in our church, that's uh, involved in a couple that I'm counseling at the church, and um, you know, it's, uh, I mean, it's just a, a weapon in the marriage. You know? She uses it against them. and uh, he says, "That's that's you know, in church discipline, in that. <laughs> wow, <laughs> amen. You know, because most couples that are abstaining, it's not because of prayer and fasting for that. Okay? Um, and anything else in my mind is sin. And then number three, needs his wife to be a friend in whom he can trust and likes things he's doing. He needs a buddy. Um, And unfortunately, uh, what husbands will do is husbands, to win their wives and their courting, will enjoy being with their new, you know, bride-to-be. And uh, they'll take joy in their existence and they'll want to spend time with them. And then they go on and reach that goal and go on to their career and whatever. And she kind of gets lost. Background, which is really sad. Um, but what women will do is, women will take interest in what their boyfriends are doing, and they'll want to be with them when they go do stuff that they like. You know, hey, yeah, I'll go golfing with you. I'll go fishing with you. And then they get married, and they're like, well, we don't have time for that anymore. I got this and this and this and And the husband's telling, oh, I thought you were very doing this um, and, uh, and then there's there's one less thing that brings them together. Um, and then a husband needs a cheerleader and needs the affirmation for the things he does, um, and then needs to be proud of his wife as well. Um, that's a big issue. So, okay. Now well, we all had an interesting time together. <laughs> it's a hypothetical story, but we've bought two couches in my <laughs> three couches in my. On who's, on the wife's part. Oh, yes, yeah. How do you how do you truly respect a husband beyond performance? Is a question. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, I see it. Yeah, I, I, that's where. That's where that whole concept of he is the head. He doesn't become the head, even through performance. He is the head. And, and I think that um, it just will come out um, just in an attitude, you know, um, like uh, um, respecting his opinion Um You know, I'll never forget one of my staff members that went to a Bill Gothic seminar and And then my staff member, he really liked that, so he came back. And every time I wanted to make a decision, he'd start appealing it. And I was like, "Whoa, wait a minute here, you're a little out of balance here." You know, and so, uh, and so wives have a tendency to want to do that. Always, you know what I mean? Always, and there's nothing wrong with your opinion, but there have, but you always have to defer to, you know, to respecting that person's position of authority. Basically, they have to feel like, yeah, the final decision is mine or yours, you know, to make. Uh, and, and I think that there's a certain reverence, um, you know, respect issue, obviously, is what we're looking at, that uh, comes out far more in attitude um, based on their position as opposed to performance. So, like, for instance, you know, we were talking about, you know, President Clinton here this morning, and, uh, you know, yeah, I wasn't happy with some of the things that he did um, when he was president. And, uh, you know, um, you know, and I could even be joking around and, you know, some of the derogatory names that people would call him and all that. You know, it's very disrespectful to the position of president. But I'll tell you what, he came walking in my office, I'd be on my feet with an attitude of reverence and say, Mr. President. Hello, Mr. President. <laughs> you know, and I think that that's the same type of attitude, not that because of the president. But it's that same, you don't look at the person's, what they've done, you're looking at who they are in their position. And I think that a wife that has a real conviction before God to see their husband as that head will do that. Just like I do with the president. And so in spite of their failures, you know, God will use their failures, you know, to spank them, you know, to discipline them, and to, you know, maybe they lean on their own understanding too much. I don't know what, you know, what, whatever their failures are, but God will use that. But that doesn't change, you know, the reverence and respect we should. I mean, it's hard. I mean, it's hard emotionally when you see a lot of failures or there's sinful behavior, or, but it, that never changes. But that just, again, it's situational ethics. See, now you're going off on your emotions somewhere that's contrary to the word of God. And you always have to go back to the Word of God. And especially, you know, I heard Nancy Lee DeMoss talking a few weeks ago. And, um, she was talking about how, you know, I just got to tell myself, <laughs> you know, that even though I'm feeling this, you know, basically, like I said a little while ago, it doesn't make it true. And ultimately, I may not feel like respecting him, but this is, but I need to. This is what God's Word says. And it doesn't give me any room to not. You know. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, that's what first Peter 3 says yeah well that's exactly what first Peter 3 says you want to turn it real quick right what happens um, Submission is kind of a misunderstood um, teaching from my perspective. Either it's one extreme or the other. Either people just don't understand it or haven't been taught that. Um, or it's abuse, you know. It's it's one extreme or the other, typically, like most things. But First Peter 3, to kind of go along with what you were saying, it says uh, wives are to submit to their own husbands, and, um, in verse 1, but the verse that really, really sticks out to me um, is verse uh, 5. It says, For in this manner in former times the holy women who trusted in God and also adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands. Um, and I think a lot of times, I think the this, this temptation for wives is to say they're submitting to God, and try to, But they're ultimately putting their trust in their husbands. See? Um, I think that that's where um, there's a deception. The trust has to be in God. To submit to the husband. See? And wives that typically struggle with those issues are doing the opposite. Um, and then I like this other part. Verse 6, it says, As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid. That's unhealthy fear with any terror. <laughs> Basically, you know, you're not afraid of what your husband's going to do. And again, that's that security issue. The women have great needs for security. And men can do a lot of things to damage that security, but he will not be able to meet it all. That's why trust has to do in the world it's difficult because emotions really? get in the way yeah yeah mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it hits. I, yeah, the question is, you know, how do you deal with the issue of men being proud of their wife with the physical attraction uh, issue and other areas? Yeah, I, I think it is that. I think it is. A man has an inherent, wants his wife to look, you know, take care of herself. I think that's, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, now, if it's lust, that's a whole other issue, Um but it, it does branch off, I think, into you know, the concept of Proverbs. Uh, there's a lot of Proverbs that talk about a woman's behavior um, and how it can be destructive. Uh, I think it has a lot to do with being diligent. Um, you know, there's different you know, Proverbs 31 principles. Um, I think it branches off in a lot of different areas other than the, other than the physical attractiveness. But I think, I think the physical attractiveness is, you know, I've heard it both ways. I've had... I've had some wives uh, complain about um, their husband being overweight. Uh, and I've heard it that way too. But I tried I try not to. I try to keep it this broad because I think it does hit on several different areas. Yes. All of it. I, I mean. I, I think, uh, you know, if men, give, if their wives are lazy, they're not proud of them. Sorry. If they, she keeps a messy house, men don't like that. Uh, if she doesn't take care of herself, men don't like that. Uh, it may, it's a reflection on them. That's what it's an affirmation. Oh, i Right, 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 right. Yeah. Oh yeah. This is, this is not something that's we talked about a whole lot. Yeah. But it's definitely there. <laughs> 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 but it's definitely there. I can guarantee you I can guarantee that one. They're both working yeah well it's responsi- sharing the responsibilities yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm almost don't to want to repeat it but uh, yeah <laughs> uh, but what do you do when couples are uh, both working and well I think yeah you I mean, the husband has to take the lead. I mean, I mean, I when I counsel women or men and women, their husbands and their wives are struggling with submission issues. Or uh, I had to have a guy walk out of my office a couple months ago because of put the responsibility on him. But I I think that if a wife is struggling with submission, it's more the man's issue uh, than the wife's issue. Um, it can be a wife's issue, but the husband needs to be taking the lead. Uh yeah. Or leading or taking the lead and helping helping get the job done. You follow what I'm saying? So you know, he can't just be sitting around and doing nothing. He needs to be taking the lead and saying, Okay, you do this, I'll do that, you know, that type of thing. He should she shouldn't have to say a word. <laughs> but yeah, uh that's called nagging. <laughs> well i'm just joking but uh but no seriously she shouldn't have to say a word he knows what needs to get done if he's any kind of lead see the le- it's leadership is the problem with men is men just are struggling with being leaders in any and all situations and so what happens is that the it that, just, that description of a man that just wants to come home and sit around and not do anything after he's off work, or whatever, that just shows me he's lazy, he doesn't take the lead, and, you know. So, I would challenge him on those issues. That's what I would do. Yeah? <laughs> you're not being much of a leader if you're just going to sit around all the time. <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah, servant leader. Yeah, exactly. Right. He hmm. did pro doing what? Wow. Well, that's that's worse leadership. Even there. See, that's just him demonstrating his lack of leadership even more. And he's an infidel. Can't take care of his own household. What's that? No question in my mind. He did, in, fact, he's, in fact, that it could be a blessing in disguise for her. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's it. If you're, t- I mean, a lot of that stuff boils down to lack of leadership with men. To be honest, with you. you know. It's like I I was counseling a, a young couple that wants to get into the ministry, and the wife is just a strong personality just by nature. You know, it's kind of her way and her gifting. That's fine. I have no problem with that. Um, you know, but her husband has to help her. You know, she needs to be protected by her husband. Her husband needs to help. You know, delegate and help, you know, kind of help her with that, you know, and protect her. Uh, so we've been working on that. But I see that very much as a leadership issue. All sorts of things. We'll do a man now, we'll take equal time. Barbie deal. About the husband feeling proud. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. The part, yeah, a figure, uh, yeah. That's again. That's a, uh, you know, um, again. I would, I would tend to think there's some sort of lust issue there in that side. especially if the wife is trying physical. No. Right. right 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 what's that yeah Well, again, it just shows me their maturity is very low, and priorities are wrong, and yeah. Yeah. Right. That's a, well, there you go. It's identity. You know, where are they going to find their identity? Yeah, the one lady, one intern that I trained, who uh, deals with a lot of, I call them abandoned women, which is basically what you're talking about.
1: Um, I mean, that is
0: a really big part of her teaching and helping women is, you know, their identity in Christ. She spends the majority of her time helping them work through the lies and, you know, a lot from that rejection. But they have to work through a lot of that. The situational ethics. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yep. <laughs> Actually, he beat you all back there. <laughs> <laughs> right it can be it really can be that how you've been brought up and yeah those things play a role uh, but ultimately the husband has to be the one to take the lead I think to, to deal with that single person might be a little bit easier question we'll go with you <laughs> right it well, it'll affect yeah what I would do with a yeah i'm going to try to get down to the root issues in that, that person's life because i'm I, they need to still be, meet that other spouse's needs even though their own needs aren't being met um, that's overcoming evil by doing good so then i would look at that and i i i don't counsel wives without their husbands i don't do, i don't do that type of counseling just to let you know I will counsel some husbands if their wives don't want to go to counseling. I will do that, but then my goal is to help them to love their wives, to be the leaders they need to be, to resolve any issues that keep them from doing that, with the hopes that that would turn around. And I've seen that happen. I I've seen that. I've seen divorces, you know, and turn around or even get remarriages, you know, based on that. Because once I counsel, yeah, once I counsel a wife um, without the husband, my job of earning that hu- husband's trust is even greater. Because he knows what she's talking about, and then he's fe- he's gonna you know he's gonna feel betrayed. See, men don't like their wives going around telling other people their problems. That's a big issue for a man. He's got affirmation issues. And so, uh, so I don't want to I don't want to undermine that. So, you know, if I'm going to be effective, then it'd be better off for that wife to find somebody else. And I tell wives I said you're far better off. Okay, your husband doesn't want to come to counseling now. You're far better off, or as far as me helping you, waiting, you know, till he's ready, and have you both come in. That's the way I can. Because once he comes, once you come in. Um, like, now I do have a situation now where the husband has asked me to meet with his wife separately. Now That's a whole other situation in itself. Because now he's entrusting me, he's giving me that authority to meet with her. See? But that's the only way I'll do it. Was there a question back there? I thought I saw it. Question? Mm -hmm. That's just my own personal way of doing it. Yeah, most, when it comes to counseling, women, counsel, women counselors counseling men that are married, is that the question, kind of? Very, very few, very few, very few questions. (laughs) Who do we, uh, yeah, a lot of women, when it comes to counseling, who do they counsel? Um, Yeah, I would say uh, marriage counseling with a woman being the lead counselor, um, you're not going to see a whole lot of fruit that way. I, I mean, name one in our country right now that's Christian. Name one that wrote a book. You got a name? Oh. <laughs> I don't know any. I mean, I can't, I can't think, not one can cut up my mind. I'm, You know, I'm sure Beth Moore, you know, does a lot of counseling with women, but I'm sure once the husband gets involved, uh, I don't know what she does, but she's not writing books on, I mean, I mean, there are some books written, like K. Arthur wrote a book on marriage, you know, but there's so few and far between. Um, most women are counseling, women that are dealing with abuse issues or um, you know, uh, issues from abandonment. A lot of abandonment, i call it abandonment. A lot of women that have been rejected and abandoned. Uh, huh? By their husbands. Dr. Laura. <laughs> there you go. To counsel more, to counsel women with, you know, a lot of the issues that I would see them as coming, overcoming, healing from trauma and abuse, uh, um, abandonment type issues, you know, wounds from their childhood, that type of thing. And there's a lot of them out there. Oh, children, yeah, teenage girls. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of room there, no question about it. I believe that. Um, I think that they need, no, not necessarily. I think they need to be aware of it. Um, I think the husbands need to be aware of what the help their, their wife's getting. And I do think that there's needs to be a, um, you know, the husband has to, uh, um, I think, uh, be involved to some degree um, as far as, uh, you know, knowing that it's it's, it's for her benefit, you know, know, really understand what's going on you know, in that counseling to some um, but no, I, I, I do believe that. I believe that. I mean, I, I believe that a husband and a wife can be what God wants them to be as individuals um, respi- in spite of the other person. But they may have to suffer because of their spouse. Because if I sin, it does affect my wife in some form. My, you know what I mean? Because we're one flesh. It's going to impact her life. But I don't believe that has to keep her from being everything that God wants her. But the suffering that she may have to go through, you know, is still going to be there. And it may not, there's going to be undue suffering that she may have to go through. Okay, one more question, we'll take a break. Christ-centered marriage is referral. Yeah, it's a good book. Well, because they well, just well, I think it's important. Well, I think it's important. I think the the emphasis on the man is because he's the head; and he becomes the head of the home. I think mean, that's why the emphasis is put on there because of, I think he's the he's the he, She is supposed to follow him into that new relationship of oneness. That's why. No, there has to be a dependent. They have to break free emotionally just as much as the, the husband or financially, or spiritually, or whatever. All right. Why don't we go ahead and take a break? Uh, We'll see you in about 15 minutes.